Hello, welcome to the Radiate Podcast. We're here to connect, encourage, and empower you to radiate the message of Jesus to yourself, your neighbors, and the world. I'm your host, Steve Presswood. This is the second in a two-part series where I interview Ryan and Gabby Nicholas. Today I'm visiting in person at the home of my Radiate Podcast guests, Ryan and Gabby Nicholas. Ryan and Gabby, welcome to the program. Hey, Steve. Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Steve. Well, I want to turn our attention now to disciple-making. A lot of this has had to do with uh, your own walk with the Lord. Of course, as you've tried to make disciples, but uh, this is really centered a lot on, so far, your own walk with God. But I want to turn our attention to disciple-making now. It's a term that's widely used in Christian circles, I just want us all to get on the same page, make sure that our hearers, our listeners are uh, thinking like we are too. What do you mean when you use the term disciple-making or discipleship? I think of being a disciple or engaging in discipleship, it's knowing Jesus and doing everything I can to be like him. In other words, putting his life into practice Uh, in my own life so that I'm looking more and more like him. And then disciple making is simply helping other people do that. Okay. Uh, Would you add anything to that, Gabby? Uh, No, I totally agree with that. I just see it as a commitment to learn from King Jesus, Son of God, and obey his commands and teach others to do the same. Okay, so... What do you think are some of the common misconceptions about discipleship among people you know or which you've been exposed to? And by that, I mean, you know, maybe authors you've read, preachers you've heard. Uh, We've been exposed to a lot of folks, even though we don't know them well. But for the people that you've seen, heard and known, uh, what are some common misconceptions about discipleship? I think one that I see a lot is that discipleship is listening to a message and getting more knowledge. So as long as I'm getting smarter about the Bible or about God or about even religion, I'm being a disciple. There's nothing wrong with learning good theology. Obviously, we want to grow in our in our understanding of who God is and intellectual knowledge of who God is. But if there's no application, if it's not getting into my life and affecting how I'm living and treating other people, And it's not discipleship. It's just like a hobby or something. Yeah, I would agree that there's just that misconception of really disciple means learner. And so we'd assume this is more of a Western idea of what a learner is that's just a knowledge accumulator. And even more in the culture today, it's kind of we have so much knowledge and information on hand all the time that to be a learner is just to be able to read or listen or expose yourself to information. Really, even when I've talked to a lot of people, they say, oh, well, if I really want to learn something in order to know how to do it and replicate it, I've got to, I want to mess with it. I want to use my hands. I want to be able to see it and play with it. And, and I think that's what Jesus, when he had his disciples, they weren't just hearing him talk on a mountainside the whole time. They were walking with him. They were engaging with him in the things he was doing and he was giving them times to practice that and then do it and then after he resurrected and left he said go do what i taught 
And that really is the essence of, of being a disciple, to go and do what the person you were learning from did. Next question's pretty big. We could probably spend a long time on this, and we may need to. What is your understanding of what Jesus expects from his followers? I, it's almost so simple that I think we try to make it hard. But I think he wants us to spend our whole life loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving other people like we would want them to love us. It's a simple answer, but the practical application is incredibly hard because we don't want to love other people like we love ourselves, and we don't want to love God with our all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's what Jesus did. I mean, he loved us so much that it took him to the cross because he knew that we couldn't um, we couldn't live without it, and he loved us more than he loved his own life. Being a disciple is actually doing that and then helping other people grow as disciples is showing other people what that looks like. How do we do that in our everyday life? Because we need to see examples of it. Why is it hard to love people like we want to be loved? Let's start with that one. I think because we live in a world that says, I've got to fend for myself. I love all of Matthew chapter 6 because I think what Jesus is trying to convince us of is that in the kingdom of God you don't have to live like the rest of the world because the rest of the world thinks about how do I fend for myself whereas disciples in the kingdom think about how do I let God take care of me he's the one that's going to take care of me which is why in Matthew chapter 7 Jesus says asking it will be given to you Seeking you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And this verse 12 is the key. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And I thought for a long time, why does Jesus seem to randomly throw in, in what seems to be a lesson on prayer, why does he throw in this verse about treating others like we would want them to treat us? And the answer is, people in the world, in the kingdom of the world, think about how do I fend for myself, but disciples in the kingdom If we go off Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, what they ought to be doing is going, I need to just trust God for my needs. I don't have to fend for myself. And so therefore I can freely give to others instead of withholding in order to get what I feel like I need. It's also just messy. (laughs) Yeah, loving other people is messy. It's messy to love other people. And I'm messy. I mean, even if you just reflect on the story we've said the short story we've said tonight, I mean, our life has just been so messy. And so when you join our mess with other people's messes and what does it look like to love them well, it's messy. We're reading the Sermon on the Mountain, a group we have uh, meets on Tuesday nights. And Jesus came and lived in the messiness and brought not even clarity in that it's easy 
What he brought was vision. We talked a little bit about why is it hard to love people. Why would you say it's hard for us to love God well? God expects us to do these two things, love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love people as ourselves. Why is it hard to love God? For me, it goes back to the garden, which I could spend all day talking about this, but at the heart of Adam and Eve's decision was, I know better than God how to take care of myself. I know better than God does what I really need. And so there's this tension, you know, generations after generations of after generations of people uh, have followed that same line of thinking, and that's the only world we've ever known. Until we entered the kingdom of God, the only world we ever knew was, I know best how to take care of myself, and I know best what I need. I think it's just, it takes a lifetime of discipleship to get rid of that thinking because it's so natural to us. And ultimately in order to love God I have to trust him completely because that's what he's looking for he's looking for me to stop trusting my own self and start trusting him that's really hard to do and so when I don't trust him I'm relying on myself Um, I can't see all the good things he wants to give me and so it just makes it hard to love him I think How big a deal do you think it is that those who name the name of Jesus, who call themselves believers or Christians, however you like to talk about it, how big a deal is it that those folks conform to Jesus' expectations for them? I think it's so big that Jesus bet all of his chips on that strategy. So there's a distinction that I think we've got to make sure we are clear on, and that is, you've already talked about it, the idea that your identity or that your value in God's eyes is not based on how you perform. Still, there's an expectation that God has that I don't just simply lay on the couch and have him zap me with uh, all of his goodness. And although he does kind of do that in Christ, when we believe in Christ, he gives us God's goodness. But there's an expectation that something happens now. Yeah. Uh, So help me with some of that tension. When I first came to Christ, I was 20 years old, and the very first verse I ever memorized, which has become kind of my life verse, is Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I love that verse because I think it speaks of this new desire. I don't really have a desire to disobey God. I do. I disobey him. I rely on my own strength. I rely on my own understanding. But that's not really what I want to do. In my heart, I really, really want to obey God. And that's this new desire that he's given me. And I think that's his strategy for getting us on this path of discipleship, of becoming like his son. It's not just like, oh, I put my faith in Christ and all of a sudden I love everybody perfectly. Um, I've got the desire to, but I've got to walk with God and put in the work of getting to know him and putting his teachings into practice in order to really love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, so if I could put it in terms that maybe make it simple for me, he wants me to be a cooperative agent 
in this work of me being a new person. Yes. He wants me to cooperate with him instead of fighting him. Yeah. And I've got to actually change my mindset. I've got to actually do some things differently than I did in the past. But my basis or my reasoning for doing that is not so that God will love me. Right. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, there's some theologies out there that say that you're so messed up, you can't cooperate with God. He has to do everything for you. And I really don't see a basis for that in the scriptures at all. I think it's dangerous because it makes God this agent that forces me against my will to do whatever he wants, when in reality, God in his love has invited me to cooperate with him in a loving relationship so that I look more like his son. But just like a father, he's not casting me off if I mess up. My identity is not in whether I do it perfectly or not. My identity is in Christ. And so I know that there's grace when I mess up, but there's also this desire in my heart because of this new heart God has given me to continue to grow. Right. I have one final question that I'll pose to the both of you. Y'all answer it however you like. The word I know, because I know you, factors in very significantly into how you figure out what it is that Christ wants, how you get direction for your day even. Talk to me just a little about uh, what you do personally in the Word of God and how it's impacted your thinking over the years. And how do you anticipate uh, continuing to use the Word? Yeah, so my approach to the Word is always changing. So it's it's not like I've got one set way to do a quiet time or one set way to pray or something that I always have to do. I think the Word for me has always been something that I'm always taking in very consistently. Uh, sometimes it looks like scripture memory. Some There's some seasons where I've done a lot of scripture memory, a lot of scripture review. Sometimes it's praying a lot of, uh, of the Bible. Sometimes it's um, doing a lot of in-depth Bible study. It just depends on how God is relating with me in that season of my life. But the point is, is that I have to have the Word of God in my head. I'm not just talking about scripture memory. I am talking about scripture memory, but not limiting myself to just scripture memory. I need to be having God's thoughts in my mind all the time because I'm, I've am i grown up in a world where all I see is the opposite of what God is looking for. I see selfishness. I see people fending for themselves. I see people doing what's best for them, uh, throwing other people under the bus to make themselves look better. I see all that, and it seems very normal. And so what I need is God's thoughts in my mind all the time in order to know right from wrong, in order to see uh, how God thinks about those things so that I can reject what's bad and conform to what is good. For me, I think I am, will be forever grateful for just the practice of getting in the Word daily. There was a time when we were moving from Tulsa to Oklahoma City that I had started a job here and he was still working in Tulsa. And so we weren't living in the same city, and the job I had taken was rather demanding on my time. I had gone from a time where I was for six months intentionally just not working, working on kind of my health and really just focusing on... How to get your legs back under you. Yeah, coming back from Colombia. And so sometimes I would spend one to two hours a day in the Word, and then going to this job where I was lucky to get waking up at 
you know, 4.35 to be at work by 7, and so to just do all the things needed to have 15 minutes in the Word and knowing that I had some scripture memory, it made me yearn for the Word so much, but at the same time that discipline and the practice, the assurance that it was the food I was looking for, like those 15 minutes changed my day every day. I'd say, so really appreciating that, that season of my life was really sweet, and I was very grateful for the how I learned to consistently be in the Word day in and day out, and that it was what was going to sustain me. Another thing that's transformed my uh, understanding of the Bible and appreciation of the Word has been the Bible Project and t- sermons by Tim Mackey from Dwarf Hope Church in Portland, Oregon. He's just had a way of really communicating the message of Jesus and the story that God has been writing and that has been super helpful and just rejuvenating to my hmm. time in the Word. Well, Ryan and Gabby, what a joy to have you on my program, Radiate Podcast, and uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts today. It's good to hear you as always, and uh, I've been so encouraged to know that even with the tough spots you've been through, and maybe even specifically because of those tough spots, God has used this to just hammer you into his image in ways that I would never wish on anybody, but uh, (laughs) you you just love to see the outcome of what God does with hard stuff in his people. Yeah. Well, thank you. And good to be a part of this. This is cool. This is really cool. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for tuning in to Radiate. You can continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect to us online at osunavs.org and on Instagram at osunavs. See you next time. And until then, keep radiating the message of Jesus.